know about you guys, but I'm having a lot of fun today. This is, uh, this is, this is special to get to be here this morning, 30 years since I uh, got baptized in that same baptistry, except for a few occasions where we played hide and seek in here. I think I hid in there once. It's, uh, it's special. It's always great to be back here, uh, to be in Nacogdoches, to drive around, see what's changed, to see what hasn't, to be here at First Baptist and see what's changed and what hasn't. You got some new seat cushions. That's good to see. <laughs> uh, it's special, as, as Noel was, was sharing. Um, I, I am who I am uh, in large part because of this church and uh, the influence that many of you have had on my life and on my family's life. And, uh, and I can't say thank you enough. And so before I get all preachy, I just want to say that in this week of Thanksgiving, just to say thank you. Um, for many of you who've given to this church, who've served, who've given uh, extra hours and days of volunteering and uh, showing up when no one knew you were going to show up to help uh, to study for lessons and prepare um, to teach me and my peers and many others along the way. And uh, the prayers you've prayed um, for me and for many who this church has impacted over the years. Uh, just thank you. Thank you for that. It's, uh, it's beautiful to reflect on these things and look back on my life and our lives and, and, uh, and see all the ways that God has been involved in that and uh, has impacted my life. And I can't say thank you enough. Um, but I have prepared a sermon, and, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that too. Um, so uh, if you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to open that up to, uh, to Luke chapter 19. And as you get there, I've got a question for you. Um, how many of you guys are the type of person who loses stuff? Any of you guys lose stuff? Any of you looking at the person next to you and you're like, yeah, she does. Or yeah, uh-huh, him, he's the one, he loses stuff. Well, I, uh, I, I pride myself in uh, one who does not lose stuff. I have a place for things. Um, I wear pants, and, uh, and that's where I keep all my things. It's, I don't know if you guys knew this, but pants have these things called pockets. And they're great for uh, keeping stuff. So, you know, every pocket has its, its contents that go in it. And, uh, and so in this pocket, this is where I keep my wallet and my phone. In this pocket, that's the keys pocket. Back here, back right, that's where I keep uh, pens. I always carry two colored pens, just in case you need a little variety, you know. And, uh, and then I also keep cash in that one. And then receipts go in the back left pocket. And it all makes sense. And so whenever you stand up and you're getting ready to go somewhere, you just check them all. All good. All right, ready to go, right? All right, that was, if you don't get anything else out of today, that was, that was special for you if you know, just need to make some life changes about pockets. But, uh, but it does occur on, on occasion every once in a while that I lose something. And, uh, and when I do, you know, it's, you know, I like, what, where'd it go? It's, it's not in its pocket or it's a tool that I, you know, used or, uh, or you know, a piece of paper, a piece of mail or something that I, that I was looking for and, uh, and I'll lose it. So then I go searching and just like I tell my kids, well, it's right where you left it. Um, and so I think back through, where did I last see that? And where would I handle it? Where was it? And it's like, okay, I think about that place. And I retrace my steps and I find it. And no matter how many times this happens, and maybe you feel the same way, or maybe because it happens so often in your life, you don't feel this way, but I don't relate to that. And uh, that whenever you find it, you're like, yes, I found it, nailed it. I lost it and I found it. And you, you have this little, you know, personal celebration with yourself. And you're like, yes, I can't believe I lost it, but I can't believe I found it. And it's so great. And so you say, hoorays, and, and you get excited. And uh, well, the passage that I want us to look at today is like that. Um, our, our God likes to look for lost things, and uh, he likes to find them. And when he does, the scriptures say there's a celebration that happens. 
And uh, and in Luke chapter 15, just before this passage we're going to read, he shares several stories, several parables. And many times you read the many times when you read a parable of Jesus in Jesus' teachings, uh, it's a story. It's talking about God going and finding something. It's a story of salvation. And in those stories in John or Luke chapter 15, it's the stories of lost things. And we see there we see that uh, that there um, that that. God was searching for, uh, or there's a story of a, a woman looking for a lost coin, and then a shepherd looking for a lost sheep, and then that famous story of a lost son, the prodigal son, and the father who goes out to meet him when he returns home. Of God who lo- loves to find lost things, and Jesus loved to share those stories to the people who thought they were found, to the people who didn't think people needed to be found. And he said, no, that's what I've came for, was to find lost things. And so when we turn to Luke chapter 19, we see a story that many of us are very familiar with, a story of a man named Zacchaeus. And uh, I want to read that together and, uh, and think about what is God communicating to us here today through this story. So if you'll follow along with me in, Jesus chapter, in Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus um, uh, interacting. This is just, just before he begins to make his journey towards Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. Uh, moving in that direction, and we see in, in verse 1, he says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I mean, if you know the tax collectors in that culture in that time, were, uh, they were a bit outcast. They were seen as betrayers of their people because the Roman Empire had invaded their country and, and essentially Tax collectors, the ones who, who flop sides, they said, I'll go and work for them and I'll come and take your money and I'll work for them. And the, the Romans loved that and they didn't have to do the dirty work. They said, hey, we'll find these people who betrayed their own people. They'll collect money and the tax collectors saw they had the power of the Roman army and government behind them. And so they, if they wanted to take a little more than they should, they could with no one and no one would say a thing. So they were outcast. They were not liked. Well, there was one of those, Zacchaeus, that lived there. He wanted to see who Jesus was, Zacchaeus did in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. As many of you know, he was wee little. That's what they called him on the playground when he was growing up, wee little. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It's as if Jesus knew that he would be there. And he and, and knew that Zacchaeus wanted to see him. And that he was planning on meeting him there. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Oh, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is a dramatic transformation. A dramatic transformation. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus affirms that even though he was a societal and cultural outcast, that now he is a family. He is family. He is a son of Abraham. He is one of us. He is with us. 
affirming to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, no, no matter how far you think you are, you're in. Affirming to those who might have been listening that no matter, far, no matter how far, how bad you think this guy is, he's in. I pursued him and I brought him in. Then verse 10, which is the summary of all of Jesus' ministry, a summary of why Jesus came, a summary of what he's all about. Verse 10. You can underline this in your scriptures. You should. You should circle it. It says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. As we read this passage of scripture, the question begs and, and you ask the question, who's pursuing who here? Because you read through it, and even as you, if, if you identify with Zacchaeus, you think, oh, well, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was there. He, like, he wanted to go see him. He got up early that day, but the crowds were busy, so he made ex- extra efforts. He had to climb that tree so he could see what was going on. It seems that Zacchaeus was pursuing him. But you have to imagine when Zacchaeus is sitting in that tree, and he's like, I hope I can see him from here. I hope, I hope that he makes his way down this, this part of the road where I can see him, and he's looking out over the crowd, and he recognizes that he's like coming, and and he's getting closer, and he's like, wow, I'm going to see him really well. He's, like, coming almost right at me. And, uh, and then he's like, wait, I think he is coming at me. And he's, like, you know, like, situating himself in the tree. He's like, this is getting awkward. Is he coming to me? Is he? And he's, like, talking, and, you know, you can imagine Zacchaeus there for a moment. He's like, wait, are you talking to me? Yeah, I think he just said my name. Uh, this moment where Jesus makes this beeline for him and looks up in the tree and talks to him. It also seems that Jesus was pursuing Zacchaeus. And that crowd and that people and that town, when Jesus woke up that day, he said, I'm going to see Zacchaeus today. And this picture of Jesus pursuing Zacchaeus is a picture of God pursuing us. That God pursues us. And we read this story here in Luke chapter 19. And I think that it's, it, it raises this truth, this reality that we need to think about. That I hope that all, it settles in with all of us here today. First Baptist Church, Nacogdoches, on December 1st of 2019, that God is pursuing us. And it didn't just start with Jesus in Jericho that day, but it's something he's been doing all along. God's been pursuing us and inviting us to respond to him like he did Zacchaeus here. He's been doing it since the garden. If you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning, in verse 8, we see this story that we're familiar with as well. When God began his pursuit of us. Verse 8, it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. I love that picture of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It says this, And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. If you remember what had just happened, he gave them instructions of what they should do and what they shouldn't do. This is how you should live life and this is how you should not live life. And they looked at those two lists and ways that they could do things. God said, do this way. And they said, eh, let's do it this way. And they were disobedient. And they hid from him. And the Lord, uh, they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and he said, where are you? That's rhetorical question number one. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? That's rhetorical question two and three. (laughs) So God comes looking for these that he has created. He comes looking for them. He asks, where are you? 
Where are you hiding? I said it's rhetorical. It's no mystery. He knew where they were. He's God. He knows all things. He sees all things. He knew where they were. He knew what was going on. But he gives them an invitation to respond. An invitation to confess. An invitation to say, well, we're over here. And this is what happened. He says, tell me yourself. I know what's going on, but tell me yourself what's going on. He asks that second question, essentially, what have you done? Again, an opportunity to confess. And so we see there, even from the beginning, from the moment when Adam and Eve, when the first people, when they left God, he begins his pursuit of them. He, go and he, he goes and he finds them. He finds them where they are and he gives them an invitation. I'm pursuing you, will you respond to my pursuit? As you read on in that chapter, you see that he, he gives the curses over them and over creation and he, he then says, you can't stay here anymore. This place isn't for you anymore. You've now broken things and you've done those things on that list of should nots and you can't stay here anymore in my presence. You need to leave. But almost, and it's very subtle, almost as if to say, but I haven't forgotten about you. If you read at the end of that chapter, it says that he provides for them skins because the environment outside the garden was not a very safe environment, not a very easy to live in environment in some ways. And he provides for them skins to cover themselves as protection. We see the first sacrifice, something gives up so that they can have. We see God providing for them already. That his pursuit of them, you can recognize and we'll see this again. You know that God is pursuing you when he provides for you. We see this continuing on as we read through the Bible, God's pursuit of us in that story of the Exodus the next chapter of the, the next book of the Bible of the Exodus that we're all familiar with and the people of Israel, the people of God were brought into captivity in Egypt as their numbers grew and Pharaoh, who did not know God, did not know the history, did not like them, began to persecute them and enslave them. And even in the midst of that, one man became a representative of them as Pharaoh issued a decree to kill all the children, all the boys. This one boy was saved, was brought up in Pharaoh's own household. The, and he himself, as he grew up, became a leader and a ruler. And he murdered a man as he recognized what was going on and saw that they were treating them poorly. And he flees. But then what does God do? God pursues him, pursues Moses and calls him out for a specific purpose and then sends him back God pursues his people through this man named Moses. This picture almost as an allusion, as, a, um, uh, as some foreshadowing of God using one man to pursue a group of people. And Moses goes back into Egypt to lead the people of Israel out. And you know that story where he leads them out, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness, where God provides for them water from rocks and manna and quail Seemingly out of nowhere. God provides for them. He provides for them the law. He gives them the law to help them know how to relate to him and to help them see what is wrong. And all of this pursuit, God going after them and pursuing them. We fast forward again and we come to the New Testament. 
As we enter into this season of Christmas, which starts now, not before Thanksgiving, just so we're clear. In the season of Christmas, we are reminded beautifully that God pursues us and knows us. He has not forgotten us. And he pursues us personally. And he got involved personally. And he gave up personally. And he gave part of himself, his own son, and sent him to be in our midst to pursue us, to come and get us. Sends his own son. As we remember at Christmas, one of my favorite, when we get home yesterday, we set up, or the day before, we set up my mom's Christmas decorations in her house, got everything all set after Thanksgiving. And uh, when we get home, my kids are all like, hey, when do we get to do ours? One of my favorite Christmas decorations that we have is this thing we hang on the wall. It's shabby chic. It's a little, you know, placard thing. It's got a name on it, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This beautiful picture of what we celebrate at Christmas time, that God came to be with us. In his pursuit of us, he got involved personally and he got his hands dirty and he came to be with us. Beautiful reminder of God's pursuit of us. And then we would continue to read on even as Jesus leaves earth and he establishes his church and he says, hey, but I'm not leaving you. I know I've left, but I've not left you. I'm gonna get even closer than that. I'm gonna send you part of myself once again, the spirit of God. I'm not going to just reside with you. I'm, going, I'm coming to reside in you, to be in you. And these beautiful pictures of God pursuing us are a wonderful reminder of who our God is, the simple truth. This isn't complex, probably not something you're unfamiliar with, but something that I, even as we move into this time of Christmas, this time of transition, as we move into a new year, Maybe as things begin to change in your life for some reason, maybe your schedule changes, or maybe, maybe you have a job change, maybe something different is happening in your family. Whenever there's transitions like this, we always ask that question, okay, God, what do you want to say to me right now? What do you want to say to me right now in this time, in this season, with all of this that's happening in my life, with these health issues that I'm having, or this relational conflict that's happening, or this challenge that I'm facing, whatever it is, God, what are you trying to say to me? So the question we ask ourselves this morning as we look at this passage and look at this truth, this simple truth, God, what do you want to say to me? Why do, you, why do we need to know this? Well, there's a reality that life is hard and this world is dark and it's broken. We know that. We experience it daily. We know that things are not as they should be. Things are not the way they should be. They're not, way, not the way they're meant to be. And as we recognize that and we see that, we need to know this truth. God loves you and he wants you and he is pursuing you. And so no matter what we're facing or the challenges of this world and the places where we find ourselves, the darkness that we encounter because of the brokenness that we've created for ourselves, we can remember that even in the midst of that, because of this truth that we look at the faithfulness of God throughout history, that he is pursuing us. He is pursuing you. He's pursuing those who are clearly lost. And he's also pursuing those who think they're found. No matter how old you are, where you are, he's pursuing you. Reminded this in scripture in 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his wonderful light who brought you out of death and brought you into life as we celebrated here this morning. Revelation 21.3, it's all moving towards this. And I heard a loud voice as John is experiencing this in Revelation from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place. That's a beautiful passage. You should underline this when you get a chance to Revelation 21.3. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, just like back in the garden. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's where it's headed. That's where we're moving towards. He is pursuing us till that happens. He's pursuing us until he is our God and he makes his dwelling among us. That eternal perspective. So no matter how old you are or where you find yourself in life or how many years you've been coming to this church, you need to know that truth. That God is still pursuing you. That God is pursuing us with that eternal perspective in mind. So that begs the question, well, how do I know that? How do I know that God is pursuing me? How do I know that I'm being pursued by God? What, what are, what's a sign that tells me that that's actually happening? Well, I have three of them. <laughs> you can find them there in your, in your program. You can write them, write them out. I want to talk through these, um, through these, these ways that we can recognize these things. The first one is that you find yourself aware of God. You find yourself aware of God. And so maybe that's uh, one of the most common ways is you see it in creation. Maybe you go for a walk in the evening and you see the sunset. And you're like, oh, wow. Oh, my God, look at that. Or you, you see it in the, maybe you spend some time in the woods on your deer stand. <laughs> and you have that quiet moment as the birds just start to wake up. And you take a deep breath. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's a God. Or maybe even in your work and your studies and you, you're studying something that has, you think has nothing to do with God. And then you take a deep breath and you take a step back. And you're like, oh, there you are. There you are as I study science there you are as I study math you're right there even in math God is there he made that stuff as you play instruments as you sing as you engage all of creation that he has made and you take a deep breath and you say wow there you are maybe it's in the amazing things in creation that maybe aren't awe-inspiring or they're all inspiring a different way maybe it's you've been away from Nacogdoches for a little while and you come back and you feel the humidity and you think, how can that much moisture be in the air and it not be raining? <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh my God, why did you do this to us? <laughs> or maybe it's different. Maybe you begin to, you find this moment where you're wondering about your own actions. You, you ask yourself, should I be doing this? Is this what I should be doing? Or is this what I shouldn't be doing? And you find that moment of conviction and you're asking yourself, is this, is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this how I should be doing this? And that, that voice speaking to you is like, hey, that's not right and that's not what I made you for. That's not, that's not what life is, how life is meant to be lived. And maybe it's in that moment you recognize that God is pursuing you. He hasn't forgotten about you and though you may have been doing that thing you shouldn't be doing, whatever that is, the way you've been relating to that person, the way you speak to those people, the way you think about him, the way you handle your life in that way. But you can't get past that reality. 
And even as my mom said this morning in thinking about baptism, I feel like that's something I should do. I feel like I need to be obedient in that. Maybe it's that, that you feel that conviction. Or maybe it's just simply you have questions about God, a new curiosity. That's what we saw with Zacchaeus. He had a new curiosity. He's like, I've heard all these stories about this Jesus guy. I've heard he does these crazy things. I've heard when he teaches, he says amazing things that's beyond what most people teach, most rabbis teach. I'm really interested. I have questions about, well, how does God do this? Or how does he view this? Or how does that actually work? This new curiosity about God. Maybe you find yourself asking questions. And in those moments, that's a reality that God is up to something. That he's doing something in your life. He's, he's poking you. He's pursuing you. He's trying to get your attention. So you find yourself aware of God. Number two, there are people in your life that know God. There are people in your life that know God. So maybe, maybe you have a new friend. Maybe you have a new friend or who's, who's in your life. Someone who's come to your life through work or maybe a new neighbor that's moved in the neighborhood. Or somebody you started hanging out with in, in church that's serving alongside of in a new way. Somebody who's joined your Sunday school class and somebody who's, uh, that you have a new friend in your life and you recognize, hey, this is, this is a breath of fresh air. She's, she's great or wow, I, she has a whole different perspective or he's, he's different than my other friends. I should get lunch with him and get to know him and ask some questions about his life, find out, find out where he's coming from and tell him about my own. And it could be that God brought a new person into your life, your own personal Moses, an individual that he's placed in your life on purpose and sent to you to help remind you that God is pursuing even you. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a group of friends that you have in your life, and maybe it's a group of friends that have been there for some time that you've been doing life alongside of, and you recognize that their life challenges your life, and the way they live life, and the way they make decisions, and how they choose to talk to each other, or about each other, in front of each other, or behind each other's back, how they talk about each other, how they relate to one another, how they care for and are generous to one another. And you recognize, God, you put these people in my life on purpose. I think about times in my own life when, um, when I've had people in my life and I take a step back and I think, God, I'm so thankful for those people you placed in my life during that season. Because if it weren't for them, who knows what I would have done. Left to myself, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have handled that so well. Left to my own decisions and my own temptations, I probably would have done that differently. But praise God that you put those people in my life to ask me those questions and to be there for me to talk to and interact with in those moments. Or maybe there's a group of people that you found yourself with. It's a new group of people, again, not just a friend, but a group of friends that have come alongside you and pursued you. This reminds me of a, I preached a sermon very similar to this earlier this semester in our church. And there was a young woman there who'd just come to University of Idaho. And, uh, and she's a freshman and she came and uh, her family that she grew up in was very broken and she remembers very faintly, very vaguely going to a church growing up uh, when she was very young and at some point they just quit going. She's not sure why. And, uh, sometime after that, her family began to fall apart and, uh, and so she had this vague awareness of God. But she came to college and she had no intentions of pursuing God or getting involved in a church or campus ministry. But as we... Uh, love to be a part of doing uh, we met her on move-in day and we were there to help her carry her stuff up to the fourth floor of the tower in the dorms for the freshmen 
And uh, some of our sophomore and junior students helped her move in and carried her stuff in, invited her to come hang out that night and uh, began to pursue her and get to know her and take her out to coffee and meet her when she got out of class and uh, go and introduce her to the rest of town and began to share their life with her and ask her about her life. And, And she came to church with them one day and she heard a message very similar to this about a God who pursues and she looked around her at this group of friends that she had. And she, she said, God, you're pursuing me, aren't you? And she began to weep. And as we sang a song after the sermon, she just sat there and pondered and thought. And after the service, she grabbed Tiana's hand, her friend, and said, hey, can we talk? And they went out of the hallway. We meet in a high school, Moscow High School. And she walked out of the hallway between lockers in this dark hallway. And she began to say, I think God's been pursuing me. And he's shown that to me through you. I want to become a Christian. I want to follow this Jesus that's been pursuing me that Matthew talked about. And I'd love to believe it's because I preached a great sermon, but it's not that. It had a lot more to do because God used Tiana and that group of girls in her life. And because God was consistently pursuing her, even in the midst of her growing up and her childhood and her broken family, waiting for that moment for her to come as a freshman in college to pursue her. And as a church, we love to get to be a part of that. And I know you do too, to look and see where is God at work? Where is he moving? And how can we be a part of what he's doing or pursuing others? And maybe that's your story. Maybe you have a group of people who've come come alongside you and invited you over and had meals with you and invited you to come and participate and be a part of things. Maybe that's happening now. Maybe that happened a year ago. Maybe that's happened years ago. But because of that, change your life. Be reminded that God is pursuing you. Number three, you find yourself in places where God is known. You know that God is pursuing you when you find yourself in places that God is known. That God is known. Let me just be very frank with you. If you are here today, God is known in this place. So be reminded that God is pursuing you. You could have done a lot of things today. Work off that turkey hangover you had or get some of that yard work done or get those Christmas decorations hung up or this is an acceptable Sunday to move because of the holiday, to not be here because of the holidays or whatever. And yet you're here today. Be reminded that God is pursuing you. So no matter how old you are, how young you are, how long you've been a part of this church, how short you've been a part of this church, to reflect on your life and be reminded that God is pursuing you. So that begs this next question. Well, how do you respond to a God who pursues you? How do you respond? If God is pursuing you, what's he asking you to do? Well, like Zacchaeus did, allow the transformation to take place. We saw a dramatic transformation in Zacchaeus' life. And he went from heading in this one direction of being this, uh, this man who abuses his own people, who's turned his back on his own people for selfishness, for selfish gain. And he, he, he turns around. He moves in a completely different direction, moving away from what shouldn't to what should be. A dramatic transformation. He allowed that transformation to take place. Now, he doesn't give us details there. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a description of what happened. It doesn't prescribe exactly how that should happen. Does it mean you need to have Jesus at your house for lunch? That, not exactly. But we do see in Acts chapter 3, we see, we see Peter preaching one of the first sermons of the new church. 
in Acts chapter 3, and he, he says within that sermon, he, recalls, he calls the people to do something, to repent, to repent. It says this in Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Or some translations say so that your slate may be wiped clean. I like to imagine a little whiteboard, a little handheld whiteboard or chalkboard, and it's got a list of all your sins, all the things you shouldn't there on it. And he wipes those out as you repent. So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's a sweet truth. That when we repent, those things that we know that we shouldn't do and we recognize that God is prodding us and moving us and pursuing us and we say, I want to stop this, I'm going to stop this, I want to turn towards you. And you take a deep breath. I remember just before I was baptized and I sat on the love seat in my, the house I grew up to, with with my mom and my dad and I remember repenting. I remember praying to receive Christ and I remember saying amen to that prayer and it's like I took the first deep breath of my life. I remember the spiritual experience of feeling this weight had been lifted off of me. This time of refreshing came from the Lord. And I remember other times throughout my life when I, it was clear to me that God was moving me from moving in this direction to moving in a different direction. And it was refreshing to be obedient to God. To respond and say, okay, God, I hear what you're saying. To respond to him. And so the steps to respond to God are just simply that. Turn from your sin, your own way of doing things. And this is the hard part. Because we like the way we do things. We like the way we put things in our pockets or whatever. We like that we think that's the right way. And then we recognize that's not the right way. It's hard to say, okay, I messed up. It's hard to say, okay, I'm not doing things the right way. Uh, next door to University of Idaho is Washington State University. And they had their big Apple Cup football game this past week. And uh, it's always fun to listen to the coaches talk after the game. And uh, Washington State's lost that game for seven years in a row. And to hear the coach explain why they lost and, uh, and hear the other coaches say why they won. And he says, it's because that coach keeps doing what he always does. And we know what's happening. And it's really hard for that coach to say, it's because I keep doing the same stuff and making the same mistakes. It's hard for us to admit when we're wrong. But when we do that, when we choose to turn from our sin and turn towards God, to turn towards God and what he's calling us to. We have this experience. Have you ever been followed by someone and you're moving along and someone's right behind you and you turn around and they're like right there in your face? And you're like, whoa, it's like that. God is that close. He's pursuing you and he's waiting for you to turn. He's right there waiting for you to turn around, asking you to respond, pursuing after you, waiting for you. One of the things I like to see, say as we see throughout scripture that God is that close. He's as close as your next breath. He's as close as your next breath. Henry Nouwen says it this way, God should be sought, but we cannot find him. We can only be found by him. We can only be found by him. Eugene Peterson says it like this, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us, but he enters into our trouble and he saves us. He's not far off when we sin, but he's right there waiting for us to see that our sin is not what's best for us, is not what's good, is not what's right, and to turn around and move towards him, and he's right there waiting. He's right there waiting for us. He's right there waiting for you. And that's a beautiful truth. Again, a simple truth. But one that we can be reminded of as we move into this Christmas season as we celebrate regularly that God is right there.
That he, as we remember that he came, that he was sent to us. As we remember that he is close. And it also reminds us of this truth, that God sends us. Don't miss this, that God also sends us to pursue others. John 20, 21. John 20, 21 says that as the Father, Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Those are some of his last words to his disciples, if you remember, after his resurrection. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And John 20, 21, that's the verse for our church, recognizing that God has sent us. That we're not just here to receive the provision of God, but to use the provision that he's given us to go and be a part of his mission. That God has a mission, and he has a church to accomplish that mission. And he uses everything to speak to us, and he wants, us to, use, he wants to use you to speak to someone else. The second Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5.20, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though he were making his appeal through us. That God has something to say to creation and humanity. And he wants to say it through us. Why he chooses to do it that way, I don't know. I personally think he should rethink that. But he really likes doing it. He really likes using you and I to pursue other people. And so to be reminded that God doesn't pursue you and that's not just, not just about you, but it's about how he's using you to then be a part of his mission to pursue other people. And so as we reflect on these truths here today, here's what I want to invite you to do. You have a response. You have an opportunity to respond. God has pursued you. If you're here today, be reminded he's pursuing you. Why? Why is he pursuing you? Because he loves you. And he wants you to be a part of his family. He's invited you in. And this is the other beautiful part of that truth. He wants to use you. He wants to do something through you to impact young people in this church, to impact people sitting in these pews, to impact people outside of this room, to pursue them. And so the question you need to ask yourself and reflect on, God, what is it you want me to do? How is it you want me to turn from my own ways to turn towards you? How is it you want me to stop pursuing this other thing and turn towards you. Believe that he's right there waiting for you. And it's one of the most refreshing things you can do to turn and follow him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this chance to get to remind, be reminded of this truth this morning and in this season. To be reminded that you have not forgotten about us, but that you love us. There's nothing we can do to escape your presence and escape your pursuit of us. And so God, give us the courage to respond. Give us the courage to turn and repent, to quit going in that other direction and move towards you. God, give us the courage to not think about what other people will think, to not think about what this means and all the ramifications of pursuing you, but God, just to take a, a deep breath, to take a step back, to be in awe of you and to respond to your pursuit of us. God, I pray that you would do beautiful things, wonderful things in this church for many more years to come. And it would be based on this reality of this truth, of this fact that we respond to you and your pursuit of us. So God, we ask you to do that work in our hearts and our minds. Do that work in this church. 
And we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray with hope. Amen.